0: A very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast, where your host, Paul D. Lowe, embraces many crucial conversations that compassionately contribute towards living a better life. Paul's intention is very simple, to help get people's inspirational messages and transformational stories out into the world so others may benefit. Hello listeners and welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. Today, I'm joined by a gentleman who's been with us on two or three previous occasions as we have spoke around developing world game changers. Gentleman by the name of Punit Bhartia. Ponit, a very, very warm welcome to you, sir.
1: Thank you, Paul. Happy to be here and happy to have, have been invited here. So thank you so much. And uh, what we thought we'd talk about,
0: listeners, on this uh, third of the four mini-series around developing world game changes is look at things from a more external perspective. So what do I mean by that? Well, on the first two episodes, we spoke more around the, the internal aspects of people, developing us as individuals. You know, what's going through our mind? You know, how are we psychologically? What do we need? What shifts do we need to make, if any? Um, and that's a bit of a kind of uh, an interesting question because actually the reality listeners is it not we're already world game changers but it's about raising that awareness so that we accept and understand that we are so looking at things from a more external perspective then upon it what kind of you know how do we build a team then of world game changers what does it take for anybody that's that's building something, once they're confident within themselves that I've got this great idea, I've got this great vision, how do I then build a team around me? Where do we even start with that question, punek
1: Well, that's a very good question, Paul. The way it works is, once you are clear on what you want to achieve, the challenge is you are limited by yourself because you and yourself can do only as much. So you're better off finding people aligning with people and getting people on board who would help you have a greater impact as we call it the world game changers because if you want to change the world you need to rely on other people and that's where there are a few things which are of importance you need to find people who share your vision who share your purpose who share your mission so while you would have your vision mission and purpose these people as they join would help you enrich it, help you make it alive and make it more concrete. But then you need to find out people who are trustworthy, who are skilled and who complement you in what you do. Because if you're thinking alike and there's no differences and there's no discussion, then it's going to be one way, one way street. And you don't want that. What you want is to enrich and enliven your vision, enliven your mission. So you need to find people whom you can trust you, can find, you need to find people who are complementing your skills, but while complementing, they are able to understand what your vision, mission, and uh, intention is. And you need to factor in what their values are, what their priorities are, and what they are looking for. And when that happens, as we say, the sum is always greater than the parts which are individual. So that's what we need to aim for. Find people who are trustworthy and align with you and willing to extend your mission. Mm. And on previous episodes,
0: Punny, you've quoted uh, two or three times about Dr. Uh, John D. Martini. And I mean, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, listeners, but from my remembering uh, Dr. Martini's take upon things, I mean, something along these lines of if you have a vision, Create a set of values that people will follow because if people aren't aligned with your vision and your values, the relationship will end in tears. Now I'm paraphrasing; they're my words, uh, not not uh, Dr. D., uh, John D. Martinez. Do you resonate with that? Does that make sense? Punnett, that you know, if people don't share your vision and values, the relationship, whether it's personal or professional, is going
1: to be very, very short-lived. I would say. Yes and no. Yes, because there needs to be some commonality. So some common your vision. There's no no doubt it has to be absolutely aligned that they want to be part of it and they want to contribute. So there it's hundred percent yes. But in terms of values, you need to have true value values around what you want to achieve. But in addition, they would have values around somebody's a good salesperson and you may not be a good salesperson. Somebody is a good communicator and you may not be a good communicator or other ways. So you need to find some commonality wherein the values are aligned and some commonality in which values and skills are different because that's when you will have a greater impact and greater purpose. So that's the no part of it that you need. If it's complete match, completely aligned values, no polar opposites, nothing uh, that's different from you then they will think like you, act like you, behave like you, and you will not find the synergy to make that greater impact. And that will be counterproductive. And that's why I say no. But if you have some commonality, which allows you to align, allows you to envisage, allows you to be on the same mission, but contribute differently and contribute differently in terms of different skills, different ways of thinking, different ways of like, if you are a left brain person, you may be, will be better served with the right brain person. And if you are a visionary, you may need somebody who's detail-oriented so that that starts to get crystallized. If you are, uh, what do you say, plan-oriented, you maybe will need somebody outcome-oriented. And that's what I mean, the synergies. And when you have those synergies, then your world game changer mission or making an impact in the world would be relatively simpler and relatively easier. And believe me, it's relatively, it's not easier, it's not simpler, but it's relatively easier than being all by yourself. And you need to assemble that team of trusted people around you. Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose the big question then, Ponit it is, you know, what is a vision? Is there um. <laughs> I'm kind of smiling and laughing here at my own question is there a vision that's so compelling is there a science to creating a vision you know that it's so compelling it's so lit up in lights that it's going to attract you know the right well it's going to attract people the right people is a different question altogether. But I, I mean, is there a science? I mean, where does that come from? From a, a leader um, or a visionary? Is that uh, emotional? Is it intuitive? Or, you know, or is it scientific?
1: Or is it a mixture of all those? from it, when we're creating a vision. Well, a vision is both a science and an art. The science part is that it should be short. It should be understandable. It should be crisp, and it should not be too long. And the art part is, well, some people make it so, so simple and easy, like just do it from Nike. Mm. You know what it means. And sometimes it's complicated, but end of the day, it speaks for itself and there's no right or wrong, but it is the philosophy based on which you are going to run your, what do you say, the initiative, the impact making and your organization is going to work on it. So it's the philosophy, it's the decision-making and it's going to guide you. And it's ideally in my opinion is couple of lines, no more. And when we talk about vision, there are two things then. There's the vision and there's the mission. So the mission is the objective and its approach while the vision is more future positioning and saying where you want to be, what impact you want to make. And that's very important to realize the difference between the two and have them carved out. It sometimes takes weeks or months. And it's also the why of the company, you know.
0: The big why. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, you know, when we look at this model of why, what, how, it, this, I mean, I know Simon Sinek, for example, is a massive advocate uh, of, of the why, the big why. You know, do we always start? I mean... Is that why that critical? I ask it as a question rather than as a, offer it as a suggestion. You know, where do we start with the point? Is it literally the the catalyst for everything? Is know what burns inside? Why are you doing this? Why are you so committed to doing this? Is
1: is that fueled by our knowing our why? I have a mixed opinion on that why part. I know Simon Sinek and some others say your why is important you need to know your purpose in life and everything which is important but all the same you don't want to be stopping yourself because you're not convinced about your why because as you evolve as you work on things your why would also get clear and i know tony robbins also says it's 80% the the science uh, the art of why you want to do it and 20% around what you want to do but my take is You got to start where you are. Of course, you need to have a long-term vision, long-term perspective and saying, where do I want to see this in 10 years time or 20 years time or whatever is comfortable at that time, lay it out, put that flag and start. And as you start in a few months, in a few years, you will realize that you have more insights, more uh, enlightenment, and you will like to adapt it and change it. And that's fine. I mean, Apple would not have started with their vision and mission that they have now, 30, 40 years ago. Disney would not have started like that. Microsoft wouldn't have started. Nike wouldn't have started. So it tends to evolve as you evolve and the kind of success you attract. Because it will be really uh, an embarrassment if you say, I want to change the world and I want to impact 1 billion people. Well, that's aspirational. That gives you energy. That gives you direction. But how? That's also essential. And doing what? So you need to balance out the why and the what, and then the how would take care of it. So my opinion is take care of the what and the why, not just the why, and then work out the how. Most people, what they would tend to do is they will start to get into the how. I would like them to spend time on the what and the why, but not just the why.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So on the vision, on the values, the other thing that we bring in then, pun it, is the philosophy. What's underpinning you know how do we and we've spoke quite a bit about this both privately and obviously on air, but the philosophy of life, you know, are, are we aligned philosophically with our the way we look at the world? Is, is that a key factor as well in when we build something, you know um, is, is philosophy important? Or is it just some nice idealism that we may have?
1: I mean, philosophy in an organizational context or when working with other people has two parts, in my opinion. One is the values part. That is, what is it that you're going to value? For example, maybe you are going to value transparency. That is being open and transparent with your clients or with those whom you will work with. Or is it going to be impact? Because wherever you do, you want to make an impact. Or is it going to be around the aspect of collaboration? So more than what you are impacting clients, it's about collaborating internally. So it's those values that will essentially determine what kind of a philosophy you are embedding in. And then there's the process part of it, which is about how do you do things and what are your expectations? Are you going to rely on sales target are you going to rely on a non-profit organization is impact more important or revenue more important and that's the other part of philosophy so it's values and philosophy and values are also in essence in uh, for me part of philosophy
0: yeah.
1: the um and then there's the kind
0: of company we create isn't the it, it, you know so if we're in business, you know, are we creating a charitable company? Or are we creating a commercial company? And that's part of uh, factoring in, isn't it? You know, because obviously if we're in a part of our focus um, is to make a million pounds because I want to buy a new Ferrari every year. Well, that's that's OK. That's great. But that's obviously got a very different focus to I want to raise a million pounds to plant forests all around the world, for example. So, you know, the type of entity that we set
1: up is critical as well, isn't it? Yeah, so legally that matters, but it links back to your why and what. Hmm. What are you doing it and why are you doing it? What's your end objective? And as you rightly phrased it, is it to buy a Ferrari or is it to impact a million lives or to increase sustainability by planting a million trees? And all those three are relevant, but what is it that is driving you? What is it that you are valuing? Because there's no point. I, as a person, imagine, want to go for a Ferrari, but I believe maybe my partner Paul would not like it. So I will call it, let's grow one billion trees or one million trees then there's going to be conflict in who I am and what I'm portraying. So there needs to be synergy between the what and the why, the internal, the me, why, and what, and the organizational what and why. And when the two are synergized, success is going to be relatively simpler and easier. And I know some people think that's business. So there it's going to be different. And that's me. I'm a different person. I think the more synergy, more harmony you have between the two, then it makes life easier for you. Yeah, I agree with that. And that brings in uh,
0: quite nicely, you know that old saying, listeners, never mix business
1: with pleasure. it. what's your thoughts about that old saying? I would say, if you make your business of your, if your values are aligned and you really want to work for it, you will not feel that you're working. You will not feel that you're doing the business. And then it'll feel naturally to be part of who you are, an extension of who you are. And it'll become seamless. As they say, then your vocation becomes your vacation. Because Mm -hmm. if you work on a business, in a business, whatever you call it, on the business or in the business, doesn't matter. Because nobody says, I'm on the business of retail property, or I'm on the business of property or I'm on the business of technology, they usually say I'm in the business of. So there's this uh, philosophy which says I'm on the business, in the business. Essentially, do I own the business or do I work in the business? So it essentially the important aspect is you need to be clear on is what you're going to do, fully aligned with who you are, congruent with your values, congruent with what you want to achieve. And if it's an extension of you as a person, then the business will feel like I'm just enjoying, I'm just participating in who I am. Then 13 hour, 14 hour, 15 hours a day will not matter. But if you think it's a business to give me money and I must do it, it's something that's necessary and a necessary evil for me to earn money, then these are two parts. And then it's going to energy from you and you're going to invest energy in it. And when you invest energy in it with an eye on return on investment, life is going to be challenging because every day you don't make return, you're going to feel pressured. And every day when you spend long time, you'll say, I'm tired because there's no tiredness when you are flowing, when you are working on something that's synergetic with your values. I mean, you go to any university, any office, there are some people who are working till eight or nine and they never crib. And then there are some who work till five or six and they're saying, oh, it was a long day when they're working till seven. Why? Because all the Nobel uh, Prize winners, all the great scientists, they work like crazy because they are working on what, they, what matters most to them in their lives. Mm-hmm. So you need to find things which work completely as an extension of you rather than something completely different and that takes us to the previous point which we were saying. Don't think of business as something which is different. business is an extension of you. your values and your vision.
0: Yeah, brilliant. I love
1: what you said there and if I could
0: be allowed to answer my own question as well about you know going back to the um, don't mix business with pleasure. I totally, personally, totally refute that. I don't agree with it because what is business? doesn't matter if you use that label business or personal, professional. You use what label you want because first and foremost, life is about people. Yes, we might have a collar and tie on. We might be in a boardroom. We might be, have our jeans and flip-flops on in a cafe on the seafront. It doesn't matter. It, first and foremost, it's about that connection, that relationship that people share. And no collar and tie for me personally will ever, you know, um, ever substitute that. So that that's my own take upon things. Um, strategies upon it. How important are strategies when you know, in terms of developing, well, I'd say world game changes, but developing anything, you know, is, is strategy important? Because it's such a we have to be careful of these buzzwords in life, don't we? And certainly within the corporate sector, you know, this strategy this, strategy that, strategy the other.
1: Or is it valid? Is, is it necessary? If you ask me, one of the most abused words in corporate language or corporate day-to-day life is word strategy. Everybody talks about it, everybody thinks their initiative is strategic and everybody thinks they need to have a strategy, while maybe in some cases, they just need to have a plan, just need to have an approach, just need to have how they're going to do things. For me, if we look at it from an idealistic standpoint of view, strategy is something which is going to lay out or have a larger impact on what plays out in long term, say five years, 10 years, 20 years or 30 years. So those are strategic things rest, everything is either tactical or operational. But people do tend to think everything is strategic. Let me take an example. When you're determining the why, what, vision, mission, values, all those things for your company, that's strategic. When you're identifying your partners, when you're identifying your board members, that's strategic. That's part of your strategy. But once all that is in place and you are executing things, I think it's making the strategy happen, it's realizing that strategy. It's no more strategic. It is delivering on that strategy. It's planning to deliver that strategy. So I tend to think that strategy is really the early part of the work. And then eventually, maybe two years later, you will say, OK, we ourselves can make this impact. How about extending our company with a few partnerships? Now, that's a strategic choice are you going to do all by yourself or are you going to rely on partners? Now that's a strategic choice, but if you decide on that, and then you are going to choose who are your partners, well, that's a tactical or an operational choice. That's not strategic because you made that decision. You are going to have partners. You've defined who are your ideal partners. you defined who are your partner, uh, partner selection criteria, which categories you want your partners to be in, Those were strategic choices, but choosing in line with that fixed criteria, in line with that thing is just operational work. The way I would differentiate just to sum it up is when you don't have anything as a reference on how or what you are going to do and you have to make that choice and that will set the standard, the benchmark for the subsequent decisions, that's strategic. But when that baseline or benchmark is set and you are adapting or making decisions in line with that baseline, is it aligned to my values? Is it aligned to my strategy? Then it's operationalization of that strategy. It's no longer strategy, but we all know that it does tend to get abused and misused.
0: Hmm. What's your personal vision for the world, for, for your life? You know, when you take that proverbial last breath, on it, which is hopefully decades and decades away. But when you when that fateful moment comes and you look back on it all, what, what will be the reflection upon your vision? What is the vision for you personally?
1: Wow, that's a very interesting question. And I'm glad I have thought through it in my past. <laughs> <laughs> huh. I I didn't know if somebody would ask me, but anyhow. So, see, my strength is that I simplify abstract and complex things. And I consider it my vision and my mission and my strategy to simplify and make it understandable for people, the abstract things, whether it be in the field of philosophy, because why we as humans act on things and what we do, it's a mystery for most people so that area whether it's in my corporate life wherein i'm talking about data privacy data protection data governance or all those things that's also abstract and i simplify it so my mission my vision is to simplify and make it understandable on all complex and abstract matters to as many people as i can
0: okay so what I want to do, it to reinforce um, something that you mentioned at the top of the conversation about, you know, the simplicity of everything. So I've actually, from my own point of view, listeners, you know, bringing in all the words that we've used, like vision, values, philosophy, you know, the companies, the strategy, the summary. In 30 seconds, be able to offer you and quote some words that sum up my whole my whole life my whole life in 30 seconds and that brings in what you said on around this you know this simplicity and it's this in fact if you've got funny if you've got a second hand on your watch or on your clock have you got access to that at this moment in time yes i can right so i want you to say start and time me for me to deliver these six aspects of my whole life to then be able to answer my own question around, you know, how do we develop world game changes from a more external, you know, what are the key components? So you say when, on it, and then when I finish, you stop the clock and tell us how long it took. It's going to be less than one minute. I can promise you that, listeners. Put it, I'm in your hands.
1: Let's start, Paul, now. Vision. Leave the world a
0: better place. Values. Learning, loving, legacy. Philosophy. Purpose, prosperity, philanthropy, companies, new purpose for living, the alpha method, world game changers. Strategy, commit to showtime.
1: Summary, planting the seeds for change. Wonderful. That was about twenty-seven or twenty-eight seconds. I'm amazed you put everything so clearly and so crisply. Thank you. Well done, Paul. And,
0: you know, listeners, when we, when we have a plan, and this is what I, what Pauline said there about having a plan, because the, the word plan is exactly that. It doesn't mean it's a rigid, we've got to do this. It's a plan. And, do, you know, whether we're conscious of it or not, we have plans in our life, you know, day to day. You know, I'm going to take the kids to school at half past eight or... You know, I'm going to make tea for six o'clock or whatever it is. These are plans. And, of course, things happen day to day today. We have to change our plans, which brings in a new, a new word of flexibility. And, you know, for me, I think there's too much emphasis put on this, you know, these big, big plans around this and these big strategies and that. But isn't it true that, you know, life's got a way of stepping in and saying, do you know what? Why don't you just try going with the flow? And I kind of leave it with there for you to have the last word on that. or well, to answer that question, why
1: don't we just go with the flow a bit more? Is that a good way forward? I mean, everybody has his own philosophy. Some people like to go with the flow and some people like to plan. But and I'm more the latter one. I like to plan. But for me, plan is not about detailing out everything to the nth level. But plan is about the process of planning. So it's the planning that gives you insights into what am I up for? What are my challenges? What do I want to achieve? And how am I going to do it? And of course, in life, things will not plan out. Things will not span out as you wish or as you have envisaged in your plans on a PC or in an Excel or in a Word document. In life, it'll be completely different. And that's when if you've done detailed planning or rigorous planning, some of the things which you will be hit with, you would have planned. And some of the things you would not have planned, but you will have the flexibility to adapt those plans, learn and move on and adapt your plan and have a plan which is stronger. So eventually it will feel like you're following your plan, but your plan would get strengthened on the ground. So it's the process of planning Rather than the plan, which is more important, because the process of planning gives you insights, prepares you for the rough ride that you're going to come along, come or face in the coming years, months. So it's it's planning for me, not the plan.
0: Mm,
1: The process. I love that. Yeah, that's yeah, it is absolutely
0: the process. Um, I share very anecdotally very quickly by way of a closed listeners something that uh, happened to me a good few years ago and I bumped into a guy that uh, I'd originally gone to school with him I left school when I was 15 uh, I hadn't seen him for 25 years bumped into him again when I was 40 and by that time I got a teaching degree I got a master's degree and I'd completed the first year i my doctorate. and he said to me I can't believe that you, you know, the way you were when we was kids at school, you've ended up with these, you know, these academic qualifications. You know, what have they meant to you? And I said, the pieces of paper have meant nothing. The letters after my name mean absolutely nothing. The process is everything, because what that did, it gave me the confidence to mix with people which, you know, I was brought up with a very strong limiting belief of people like me Come that comes from an inner city rough council estate. We don't go to university; we go to prison instead. And I was brought up with that because that was what happened. So then going into university, where I'm mixing with these, you know, stereotypically young people just finished their A levels. They're bright and as sharp as buttons. I mean, you know, I had I shouldn't be here because of that conditioning. But what that process did for me, listeners what punnett's kind of alluding to here quite rightly in my humble opinion it, it it really challenged that paul you're good enough you know because the younger people they lent on me in a way that i might not have the sharpness of their mind but what i had was something which was massively massively invaluable and that's called life experience so i just close it off there punnett by and sort of invite you in really to say um, share with us your contact details if you
1: will Sure, so I can be reached out on LinkedIn or I can be found on any other social media platform. Just search my name and if you struggle to find me, just add the word privacy because in my corporate life, I'm into data privacy and it's easier to find me. So Punit Bhatia or Punit Bhatia Privacy and you'll find me and connect with me. Any means, any mode, any method that works for you. Super.
0: Thank you, Ponit. Thank you very much indeed. So, listeners, all that remains now, as ever, to sign off by saying, remember, Mastering the Game of Life starts by embracing our hearts. Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. Hopefully you found it interesting and helpful. Drop a line to paul at paul with any thoughts or questions you may have and he'll be more than happy to respond. Remember, the game's ever changing. How will you master it?